welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman. I am completely unprepared, and with me this week is youth co-director Daniel Rye. And associate pastor, nope, that's wrong. And music director, Scott Reed, worship Woo. director. See, when I don't have my notes, it's just a travesty. Uh, welcome yeah. back to the only <laughs> only people I've lived with podcast. Also, Bill's not here. Just, Bill's not yeah, here. Let's just get yeah. that out of the way. Uh, Bill's not here. It's me and my two former roommates. Uh, roommate number one, Daniel, will you uh, pray for I'm us? I'm definitely roommate number two. You're number one, and he's letter number A. Number one on the team and number one in your heart. <laughs> number two on the field. <laughs> Daniel, will you pray? <laughs> <laughs> Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word, um, the way that you have revealed yourself to us. I pray that you would just help us to grow closer to you this day through our conversations. I pray that you'd be with everybody who's listening and everybody um, who is in our church congregation this day, that they'd be encouraged and remember the truth that we can have in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, we're in a bit of a rush, but that doesn't mean we're going to rush our conversation. Scott. All right, so since we're in a bit of a rush, I thought it'd be fun to do a little bit of chaos for Would You Rather. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do Would You Rather Mix and Match because... I love it because that requires that it's a it's a little bit of a of a rushier mentality for me because yeah. I have to like find things but not actually anyway mm-hmm. doesn't matter and your goal it wait I wonder let me see if I can pull this off real quick sorry this is this is turning to the opposite of a rush oh we're slowing slow down okay here we go so you're going to have exactly two seconds to answer all right okay that's easy yep. Yeah. Okay. Daniel, would you rather spend the night in a dark cemetery or Time's have... <laughs> no, I, I get to read the question. Oh, oh, <laughs> and then you get to... You have two seconds Daniel, to answer. you got to buzz in faster. <laughs> Daniel, would you rather spend a night in the dark cemetery or have a perfect body below the waist? Uh, night in cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I have two seconds. I just got to say something, and that's the first one. Don't think about it. Oh, my gosh. Have a good night in the cemetery. Okay. I hope that's the time All of right, your Max. life. Would you rather have eyeballs the size of golf balls or live to be... Oh, that's a very long one. I'm sorry. I can't read all that without... Okay. Would you rather have eyeballs the size of golf balls or that burnt feeling on your tongue all the time? Eyeballs the size of golf balls. Okay, good job. Um, <laughs> I think I chose the right one. Okay. Daniel. Daniel, would you rather have someone snoop through your closet or... Oh, shoot, that's when, that one's really long, too. Or have two... Pff, I'm sorry. This is what happens when I do mix and matches. And I, <laughs> it's hard to read them sometimes. Would you rather have someone snoop through your closet or be head of the United States' biggest corporation? United States' biggest corporation. Good, you, you did it that time. Yeah. I don't know. I think I I'd did take it. someone snooping through my closet. Uh, All right, Max, would you rather have people it. think you are much poorer than you are or share your home with six 90-year-old men and six 90-year-old women? <laughs> I'm much poorer than that guy I am. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going Daniel. to be much poorer than I am. Would I you rather suffer them. from unpredictable fainting spells or live to be 100 years old? Live to be 100 year old, years old. <laughs> Good. Max, would you rather have buck teeth or always wear a belt of caution tape? <laughs> Always wear a bunch of <laughs> <laughs> All right, Daniel, Two would you seconds. rather 
have to make 101 decent looking snowmen in one day or share your home with two ostriches? Share my home with two ostriches. <laughs> All right, last one. Max, would you rather have a television on at mid volume 24 hours a day in every room of your house or untangle a not efficient line the size of a golf ball? The second one, the fishing line. <laughs> That's a big. What I'm learning is that two seconds is too much time. Two seconds is a lot is longer a lot than you think it is. It's pretty much exactly enough time. Pretty much as soon as you finish talking, the timer goes off. Also, I don't know what would happen if the timer went off in the middle of your answer. Well, you'd throw something. I don't think it would change anything. I assume we'd be severely punished. <laughs> so, nice. Good job. Sweet. Uh, before we get in to topic of the week, things you didn't know, and whatever, we will not be talking about Experience the Holy Spirit uh, this week because Bill is not here. Um... Listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would you rather's, trivia quizzes, and, uh, I don't know, things we didn't know about the Bible, to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org. I realize we always say it at the end of the show. We should say it at the beginning of the show every once in a while, too. True, because people might tune up. For all those people who get to the end of Would You Rather, and they're like, well, the best part's over. Goodbye. Uh <laughs> I, I don't know why I'm talking like I'm still on a two-second timer. I'm you like, are? I'm flying. <laughs> flying. Um, oh, before we get into things you didn't know about the Bible, I wanted to ask a question. Um, as I have said before, I, I've been reading uh, What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer by Sky Jatani. That's been a, the devotion that I've been doing um, for the year of 2022 so far. Um, and I love it. It's fantastic. And uh, today was actually all about um, this the last week has been about the Lord's Prayer and about Jesus teaching the Lord's Prayer to his disciples. And, and Sky Jatani raises two interesting points. The first one I'd love to hear your thoughts on. Um, I suppose I'd love to hear your thoughts on both, but one of them is a, definitely a shorter uh, a concept. And that is that Sky Jatani makes the argument that Jesus describing God as Father and the, and his Jewish disciples praying to God as their father when he, when they say our father who art in heaven is like radically new and unusual and they wouldn't be used to praying to God as their father um they would be used to you know thinking about him in, in very different ways mm -hmm. um and if that's the case I, I I can't think of any examples Scott I assume you're you're going to look something up um because obviously, like, the children of Israel have to, you know, well, I guess they're the children of Israel, not the children of God. But, um, you know, definitely on this side of, you know, the year 35 AD, like, we think of God the Father. We think of God as our Father. Even in, like, you know, sort of Western culture, we think of that old man with the white beard who's just mm -hmm. like a doting grandfather or an old man with a white beard who's very standoffish and doesn't talk to us. Um, but I think the idea of God being our father has become a little bit more, uh, even in just people's vague ideas of who God is mm -hmm. um, generally, has like baked in a little bit more. Scott, did you find what you were looking for? I did. Um, so I've, I've heard that concept before as well. And so what I wanted to know is... Um, is God referenced as Father in the Old Testament? Um, and then as I was looking it up and finding some answers, it was like coming to mind like, oh, yeah, of course he is. Or at least the concept is is referenced because there's, I think, numerous times where God refers to Israel, although I think he often uses like um, Ephrathah. No, that's the Bethlehem Ephrathah. There's something that begins with an E. Do you know mm. what I'm talking about? It like it's He's talking about Israel, but he calls them by a different name, and I think it begins with an E. Not e Ephraim. Ephraim. 
could be Ephraim, yeah. but Ephraim is also one of the tribes. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. But I think in some of these passages, it refers to Israel by a different name. Mm-hmm. But God often refers to them as his as his children. Uh, and so then I was just looking it up. Uh, and so there's there's a number of passages, uh, not like an abundance of them, if this if this list is exhaustive. But Jeremiah. God says, I'm a father to Israel, um, Israel, uh, Isaiah, rather, Isaiah 64, O Lord, you are our father. Isaiah 63, doubtless you are our father. Deuteronomy, is he not your father? Jeremiah, you shall call me my father. So it's definitely back there. Um, So I think, um, assuming that Sky Jatani is right, which I think that he is, uh, it seems like it stems to me more from like just a a forgetting what, Mm. who God actually is, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, which makes sense. You know, when you look at the way that the Pharisees had kind of, for lack of a better word, twisted Scripture mm-hmm. and, and the Jewish faith uh, into something pretty different mm. <laughs> from what it <clears throat> was intended to be, um, it makes sense that uh, <coughs> the the Jewish people would mm-hmm. not have really viewed God in this way. Um because I think a lot of the time we probably, I think this is true in, in a lot of cases at least, um, we kind of understand God, particularly if we're like pretty immature in our faith or new to the concept or we're young or whatever. I think we often kind of understand God by like proxy through his servants, mm. um, you know, which is why like, unfortunately, what often happens, at least we get a lot of people like this who were really turned off to the church because of their experiences with Catholicism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, if we weren't doing that, if we weren't understanding God, like by proxy, like they wouldn't be like, Oh, well, I'm not going to go to church anymore. They'd say, I'm going to go find a different church. But I think that that is something that we do is that we, the way that we're treated by like pastors or priests or whomever in some ways, again, particularly if we're kind of young or young in our faith mm. imprints on us, like, Oh, this is what God is like. And the Pharisees were so mm-hmm. legalistic and kind of controlling and demanding that it makes mm-hmm. sense that mm. the image of God as father, even though it's in the old Testament um, is one that they would have kind of lost. Yeah. Yeah. I think also this, like <clears throat> the idea of like, Oh, like you see a difference Oh, we're praying to God our Father, people focus that on the New Testament, and then they can point to that of, like, the difference between the Old and the New Testament and, like, how God presented in the Old Testament is different than God presented in the New Testament. And I think just by actually looking at the Old Testament and seeing that, no, God is referred to as Father in the Old Testament too, like, proves that point wrong, that mm. God is consistently looked at and just portrayed as reveals himself as a good father. Mm. Yeah. I, in John, uh, what's the chapter in John eight, um, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says, uh, I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. And the first thing they respond with is Abraham is our father. And then he says, and then he says, I know Abraham. Abraham is a friend of mine. Uh, Abraham is not your father. And then they say to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Um, which I don't know what hyphen even God means from like a grammatical perspective, but mm. assuming that they are claiming at that point, God as their father, he's like the second person that they go to claiming that he is their father. Um, like first they claim to be the children of Abraham and then they say, well, well, like God is our father. 
um, and they kind of go up the the ladder in that way. And I think, and this may be reading into it too much, but I, I think we have a responsibility of knowing like who our first father is and that the, the Pharisees in that junction have it backwards, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That like above all else, God is my, is my father. And why would I need to appeal to anyone other than him? Right. Why would I need to define myself as anyone else's child or any, you know, why would I uh, divine my, my self image and who I am, uh, from anything else? Um, whether it's as a man or as an American or as a tall person (laughs) or as someone with a well or poor paying job or, you know, various levels of education or whatever, right. Whatever society says about me, like Mm -hmm. there is, there is nothing else that defines me more than being God's God's child. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Thoughts on that before we move on. Yeah. I think it shows us that, um, I mean, human beings, we have a tendency to heighten like somebody else and rate somebody else on like this kind of like, oh, they're an amazing person. Hmm. Put them on our pedestal. Like there are like spiritual fathers of like people who have discipled us and helped us come along in our faith. But I think this, this distinction that we see in the Pharisees help us remember that first and foremost, God is our father. And there are may, maybe people who have father like... Um, qualities and roles in our lives but that doesn't that doesn't trump god mm-hmm. and if we ever are tempted <clears throat> to first point to that person before god then that's a big warning sign mm-hmm. it does make me think about i mean the you know what jesus said to the pharisees over and over and over again is like and what paul said about the pharisees and about himself in the past like he was just like we worship the law like that was what we cared about and and so when they say like we're children of Abraham, like they're speaking pretty honestly that they're like, that's what I live my life for is to be a good child of Abraham, to worship the law and to uphold it. And, um, through that f- find my salvation. And mm-hmm. obviously the answer was that that's not going to work. Um, cause the law shows us who God is, but it doesn't, it isn't God and it never was meant to be. Um, the other part of that. <clears throat> of this, of this chapter that I read today, um, was about when the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray, his response is he teaches them the Lord's prayer. And it, the point that the sky made and that I had never thought about before was like, you know, when I think about prayer, I always think of spontaneous prayer as being more genuine. Right. Hmm. And I often think of, you know, I've, We've talked on the show before about um, like a friend in college who really got into praying the saint, like, oh, Lord God, have mercy on me, a sinner, right? Praying that hundreds of times a day um, and the value in repeating those words. And that's never been something that like stuck to me um, of like reading corporate prayers and even, you know, the creeds and, and you know, the times that we've talked about uh, the the. Heidelberg Catechism and stuff like that, really beautiful stuff. The idea of reading something that's prescribed, like kind of doesn't sit right with me, but it's really interesting that like, if there was something wrong with praying a prescribed prayer, like if that was going to move you away from God or like kill your faith, Jesus wouldn't say, pray like this. Mm. (laughs) Like Jesus wouldn't have told his disciples, here is, Mm. here is a good prayer for you to pray. Right. Um, 
So my question to you, and, and you guys are in two really different ministries, so I'm interested, because I think you both run up against this, Scott, in music, but also in, in prayers that, um, you know, corporate prayers, and Daniel in teaching youth group mm-hmm. members to, to pray is like, how do you engage with, so to speak, like a scripted prayer, with a prescribed prayer, with a, an ancient prayer that's been written down? Like, how do you engage with it and and, you know really f- it's not like we're i gotta inject the holy spirit into this but you know mm-hmm. how do you let the holy spirit in you connect with those words um for me i think there there are different like aspects especially like being in youth ministry one is like i try to mm-hmm. always start and end my my prayers like during a youth thing as we're starting out kind of the same way mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> to kind of teach an overall like structure to like see that there's like an, an outline so that then when I ask a teenager to pray, they kind of feel like they have some sort of like guidance on where to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, um, so that's, that's one way of engaging with it, of seeing the outline of like an older prayer, kind of using that as a like, guide rails. Um, but particularly I really enjoy, um, looking at, um, like I have a copy of the book of common prayer and like on my own, like there's different prayers in there, like for, for pastors, like praying for your pastor, praying for, um, when you're about to read scripture schools and like all these different like types of prayers, um, that can also kind of help guide, guide me also really enjoy, um, prayer centered around like the season and the church calendar, mm-hmm. helping me to like focus on like during the season of Advent, kind of the theme of Jesus's first coming mm-hmm. and it affecting my, how I view Jesus's second coming, mm-hmm. um, and kind of entering in with this large body of believers who have also prayed the same prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also like really, really impactful for me personally. Um, but yeah, back to when it comes to youth ministry, showing them some sort of structure, but also not like diving too deep into this idea. Like you have to pray all these elegant prayers and like mm-hmm. just encouraging like somebody to just, just close us out and they pray something short and then be like, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for praying. We, I appreciate that. Yeah. And kind of affirming that so that they kind of, they're, start to, they're starting to wrestle with this idea of like, mm. I can pray on my own. It doesn't have to be some special words that mm. are repeated over and over, but there are some tools to help me pray in different ways. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And it is interesting that in the same breath, Jesus also says not to babble on and on about like the, <laughs> like the pagans do, right? Yeah. Um, Scott? I think for me... Um, and maybe this is a fairly universal experience, but it definitely requires a bit more intentionality when I'm reading a prayer versus when I'm saying a prayer, because when I'm reading a prayer, it's finite. I can see it. Mm. It's not necessarily reflective of what I'm thinking or feeling. Uh, and so the temptation is just to kind of like read it through out loud or otherwise, and then and it's, that's it. Yeah. And like, is that really a prayer? I don't know. Um, but I think 
uh, with a little bit of intentionality. Um, I don't often read prayers, um, but we just, in our <clears throat> Friday and Saturday morning um, discipleship groups, we just finished going through The Pursuit of God. And the end of every chapter in that book, A.W. Tozer writes a little prayer. Um, and um, sometimes those prayers, I found I found myself able to pray them, and they were, it was quite impactful. And so I think there's some benefits to it. I think there's a lot of benefits to it, but some benefits that I personally have experienced are, um, one, when you're not thinking of what to say, that can free you up a little bit. That isn't usually too much of an issue for me, but sometimes uh, it can be. Um, <clears throat> and two, if you are intentional about it, you can kind of look at the f- sentence meditate on it a little bit, not for like, you know, just like a second or two and then say it, hmm. uh, and kind of like, be like, okay, I'm about to say, you know, <laughs> look down to my Bible for like an example. And the first thing I saw was just furious with rage. <laughs> 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 uh, anyway, but you know, you can look down and see this, this concept, you know, like our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Think about it for a second. Um, like kind of like internalize it and then like, okay, now I'm going to say this. I'm not mm. reading it anymore. Like I'm going to say it. Yeah. Um, so that's been some ways that it's been helpful to me. Uh, I think as like a worship director, it's, it's interesting. I don't usually, I know some people do. Uh, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I don't usually write down my prayers for services. I usually let them be spontaneous um, <clears throat> in part because I just kind of want to let the spirit lead in the moment um, and like talk to him um, genuinely. Um, but then sometimes because we have three services, I'll like say Saturday night service, pray. I'm like, wow, that was really like the things I said there. <laughs> like, I feel like that was an effective way to kind of, cause that's like another weird dynamic is like a worship leader is like, you're praying, but you're also like leading in prayer and yeah. it's mm-hmm. like part of this overall flow of worship. And so it plays a kind of a unique role there. But so I'm like, oh, I, I should say that again in tomorrow's prayer. But mm-hmm. then it's like, did I, did I say it right this time? And so that's kind of like a weird dynamic. Sure. And that becomes a stumbling <clears throat> block too. Right. right. I was like, now yeah. it's like a, did I perform this prayer? <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's like, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so those are some of my thoughts on, on written prayers. In a corporate prayer setting, like in a, in a service, right? How can I, as a congregation member, really <clears throat> engage, you know, some of my earliest memories are being a kid in, in church and just hearing everybody kind of drone, <laughs> drone mm, sure. the Lord's prayer. Right. Yeah, yeah. And like, it's kind of cool, <clears throat> but it's also like, you know, some days I'm feeling it and some days I'm not, but there were years where I just wasn't really, I was proud to be saying the Lord's prayer. And I was like, yeah, I'm on the right team. But like, I wasn't engaging with the Holy spirit in me through that mm. prayer. You know, I wasn't sharing a, a moment with God and enjoying my relationship with him. I was just pledging my allegiance to the right side, you know? Right. And which man, there's a huge difference between those two. <laughs> um, praise yeah. God for that in the last couple of years of my life. Um, yeah. That's something I definitely like struggled with mm. um, through like my, my throughout my journey of like, being a Christian and like corporate prayer and what does that mean? What does that look like? For a while I went through this phase of like there's somebody on the stage saying saying a prayer and like that's their prayer. I'm gonna pray my own prayer because mm. I can say my own prayer and sometimes it was more of a prideful thing of like my prayer all these other people are just joining in on one prayer. I can I can I, I got my, my own, own prayer. <laughs> uh, which was not a really good no. attitude to have no, when probably it comes not. to prayer. <laughs> so I'm really thankful that I like kind of worked through that. Mm. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, because there is something special about like joining in with everybody in prayer. Yeah. And I think that's something that I've learned when it comes to congregational prayer in the mm. past like couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it really just it this is true of every aspect of of congregational participation, singing, prayer, recitation of creeds. It's like you cannot be in it or you can be out of it. Um, and being in it is going to be a little bit harder, uh, particularly if you've been around for a while. And, you, you know, I've done this countless times. Uh, it's going to probably take a little bit more intentionality. Sometimes, and I don't, this, Paul, not the Lord. Um, I don't know if this is actually like good advice, but I found this to be true for me worshiping sometimes. Where like for me, when I'm in a congregation singing, like singing for me is not, probably like singing for you listener because singing for me is like what I was trained to do uh, in college for five years. And then before that too. And so like when I sing, like I'm very aware of myself singing. So sometimes it's actually easier for me to worship when I'm in the congregation by not singing and just listening to everyone else sing. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause I'm less concerned about what I'm doing. Um, And I'm sure that people can relate to that who aren't trained singers, but probably for different reasons, maybe yeah. more just self-conscious reasons or whatever. Um, uh, so that's something that I found. And I, I think that there's some merit in that. I don't think that's like a hundred percent of the time you want to do that kind of thing, but maybe there'll be some times where like, Hey, it's actually gonna be better for you to just sit this one out and listen to everyone else and think about what they're saying. than just like engage in the mechanical activity of saying it, because when you do that, then part of your brain is occupied doing that. And maybe it'll be harder for you to, to engage mm-hmm. spiritually, which is more important than engaging mechanically. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if not that we recite the Lord's Prayer all the time here, but like if if you're in an environment where that's happening pretty regularly and, and sometimes you're just like, I don't know if I'm really engaging with this, like just try listening and mm-hmm. and thinking about it instead of like, oh, I got to get the words right. Hmm. Or like, I'm going to say this too. Or same with singing or like, or creeds or anything or scripture, like, uh, you know, congregational like scripture, yes, responsive readings, yeah. um, you know. That might be a way that will help you. It helps me sometimes to, to kind of like I'm going to step back from this thing because I'm feeling like particularly uh, rote or particularly like self-aware today, and I'm just going to like listen to it. Yeah. Instead. Yeah. For sure. <clears throat> yeah. I, some of like the most impactful times um, at, when I was at Crown, like my f- first year on like a worship team is when like the music like stops and like I'm, I'm not, I'm not singing like on a microphone, but then I'm just hearing the whole mm. like chapel, mm-hmm. like sing yeah. together in unison. And some of those, like those really powerful moments. Yeah. So amen to just listening. For sure. That was a really powerful moment from my freshman <clears throat> year at Wheaton was mm-hmm. like, man, I'm in a room with 2,500 people who at least uh, signed a contract saying they believe the same <laughs> things I believe. <laughs> but I mean, the vast majority of them do. And it's just like, man, I, I really like, I'd never been in a room of people my age, this many people my age, singing words that we all know and that we all believe mm-hmm. um, is beautiful. And I think that's, you know, to to talk about Bloomingdale for a second, like that's one of my favorite things about the... Uh, whatever time it is service now, the 1030 service. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like there's, in that service in particular, you can really just hear the congregation. And when you're leading worship, you can hear the congregation mm-hmm. over yourself and over some instruments and whatever. And um, and I, I would encourage if you're in the congregation, 
like I am three out of four weeks, um, to listen to that group of people and to listen to yourself as a congregation, to listen to <clears throat> ourselves and to really, you know, take heart in the fact that like, man, the Holy Spirit's here and he's excited. Mm -hmm. Um, and even if it's on a Sunday where you're not really feeling it, like the Holy Spirit is happy that you have set aside time to, <clears throat> to try and grow, grow close to him. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Last thoughts on that before we move on. Scotty, give me a number. I know. All right. <laughs> I know what time it is. <laughs> give me a number between one and a thousand and one. 348. 3.48 <laughs> p.m. This, of course, comes to us from 1001 Things You Always Wanted to Know About the Bible But Never Thought to Ask by Abraham Lincoln enthusiast J. Stephen Lang. Really? I say that because he's on the cover. Yeah, it was that or Crown of Thorns enthusiast, which I think in a way we're all Crowns of Thorns enthusiasts. You said 3.48? Yes. All right, uh, this chapter, Some Miraculous Highlights. Number 348, Laying Out the Fleece. Gideon, who had been chosen by God to lead Israel's armies, wanted a sign that God really was with him. He <clears throat> laid out a fleece on the ground and told God to give him a sign. If the next morning the fleece was wet and the ground was dry, he would believe God did so. And Gideon wrung out a bowl full of water from the fleece. And then he asked God to do the opposite. At night, leave the fleece dry, but make the ground wet with dew. God did, and Gideon believed. See Judges 6, 36 to 40. The expression, laying out the fleece, refers to this kind of testing of someone. Have you guys done that in your lives? Have you, like, really said, like, God, if, I know you have, Scott, at least once, but, like, really saying, like, God, if, if what I'm hearing is for real, would you show me? I've definitely said that. I don't know if I've said, God, if what I'm hearing is for real, will you do this specific thing? Mm. Which I think is a little bit different. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's there's one time where I like put two like like admission stuff from two colleges <laughs> on the bed. <laughs> um, and may do appear. Figure out like, oh, whichever one falls, the one that's out. Whoa. Come back and both of them are still on the bed. <laughs> so, um, yeah. <laughs> so we're still waiting to see which school you're going to go to. <laughs> They're still on the bed. I dare not touch them. <laughs> I'm a little surprised that God did it, to be honest with right? you. Right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem... Like something he would do. I mean, and the Bible tells us not to put the Lord of the not test. to put the Lord of the test. Except right. for that one part in Micah <laughs> or Malachi. Malachi. Yeah, that's true. He says, "Put me to the test." <laughs> but that's the one time. <laughs> um, no, I, I think that's I think that's fair. And um, it's is it Gideon? Gideon's the one who <clears throat> is it? David? <sighs> Gideon. I just read Judges like last week. Tell me about Gideon. <sighs> So Judges, which I know is not what you asked about, but Judges is just like, <laughs> ju Judges is one of those books where like, I feel like if you haven't read it in a while, you just think of like, oh, like, yeah, maybe you think of Gideon and like, oh, beating the Midianites with 300 people. Amazing. The pots and the torches. Or you think of Samson. Oh, he's so strong. And it's kind of <laughs> like, so strong. It did nothing wrong. <laughs> perfect. Famously um, perfect. Guy. Maybe you think of, uh, what's his name? Ehud, the left-hand guy. Yeah. Uh, like there's these like really <clears throat> memorable characters, Deborah. Um, these really memorable characters and stories and they're pretty cool and God does some cool stuff. But then like when you read judges, it's just like, it's just such a reminder of how, yeah. I mean, really all of humanity, but the Israelites are the ones that are in focus, how screwed up the Israelites were. Yeah. Um, like it's just 
It's hell it's, on earth. It is. It's literally. And so Gideon, um, I'm actually referencing Gideon in my message this weekend, but not not this part about Gideon. So Gideon. Are you preaching uh, this coming weekend? Yeah. Oh, whoops. Um, <clears throat> Gideon uh, is a guy, no one special, um, who lives during a Midianite occupation of Israel, and God says, hey, you're going to free them. And he's like, me? <laughs> but I'm so tiny. And God's like, yes. Uh, and so then the thing with the fleece happens, and then um, he does do this. <clears throat> and then near the end of his life, or at least near the end of his account, there's this really bizarre thing that happens, and then after his life too, um, where the Israelites are like, hey, we want to make you king. And he's like, no, no, no. The Lord is king. And you're like, yeah, Gideon, way to go. And then literally like two sentences later, um, he's like, okay, I don't want to be your king. Just give me, everyone give me like one gold earring, like whatever, just one gold earring. And they're like, okay, fine, here you go. And he melts it down and he makes this gold ephod. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, it's such a weird thing for him to do. Yeah. And then they set it up and they all start worshiping it. And what's really wild about this is an ephod is literally a piece of clothing. It's like he made, he took their things, he made a gold baseball hat, and then they put it on a little stand and they started worshiping it. Like, it's crazy. And he just said, no, the Lord is your king. <laughs> uh, it's just really, really bizarre. Um, and the, and to be clear, like the Bible denounces the worshiping of that. Yes, this is very particular. Bad. Okay, yeah, it's bad. I don't know. Um, it could be like a Moses's snake on a pole kind of situation. That's also bad. Oh well, people worship that too. That's bad. Well, that's true. Uh, Moses they look snake to on it. A, they look to it. That's good. They worship it. <laughs> <laughs> you can look you can at look it all you want. You, <laughs> 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 you just can't worship it. And I, I think it might. I might be confusing the too. It might have been the snake, but I think that there might be an account later where they're still worshiping this ephod. Um, like but it might also be a snake. Later. And then, like, after he dies, he has, like, 60 sons, because he had all these wives, and he has, like, one son from, like, a concubine, and then, like, he kills all of his brothers, and it's just Jeez. this huge mess. Yeah. It's just this giant mess. And so that's, like, judges to a T. It's like, yeah. this cool thing happens, but then also there's just this huge mess. Well, it's like the only good thing that's happening is God. Yeah. And I think that's true. I think that's generally true of the world, right? <laughs> right. But it's just like, man, it's like God did this thing, and then it was right back to humans being in charge and just right. going after what humans wanted. Right. What's really kind of amazing is what you see um, from the Israelites, because they they go after other gods, yeah. especially the Baals, and they worship them, yeah. and then they get... Uh, invaded and they get conquered and then and this is the the amazing part then they go back to Yahweh and they say help us and here I am wondering how do you even know who Yahweh is right it's been so long and like why are you going to him have you just like had him in your back pocket this whole time like if things get really bad we'll go back to Yahweh if the but baseball hat doesn't save us <laughs> we've heard <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, and it's just what's, what's kind of bizarre about that is like okay one time okay you don't know that the bales are either not real or not helping, whatever. You worship them, okay, you yeah. go back to Yahweh. But this happens over and over. And it's like, did your dad not tell you about the time the Midianites invaded and killed everybody and the Baals did squat and they had to go back to Yahweh? And you're doing it again? Yeah. Um, so that's, like, kind of crazy. It's like some – there's, like, a part of them, like, they're still passing on something about Yahweh. Enough, yeah. That they know that he's an option, Mm-hmm. But they're not passing on enough about the other gods that they know that they're not an option. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. Mm-hmm. It's very strange. Uh, it makes you wonder, like, what was being communicated to yeah. the, to their children? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, especially like <clears throat> judges. It's like a continual cycle over and over again. 
And it's like, True. yeah. It's like, and it keeps getting worse. And the ending is just like a nightmare. <laughs> the ending is something that you'd see in like a, like a novel that parents would be like, do not read this. Right. Yeah. Right. It's a, yeah. It's like a horror movie. Yeah. It is. I was going to say Stephen King. I was going to say H.R. Yeah. Geiger. Mm. I was going to say a nightmare, which I did. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Way to go for consistency. Um, listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can send questions. Would you rather end on that? Trivia quizzes. The end of Judges is a nightmare. Goodbye. And your nightmares to podcast <laughs> at BloomingdaleChurch.org. Um, yeah, you we already said that. I'm saying it again. Okay. You said it I'm going to say it at the beginning and the, and the end. Oh, all right. Okay. Like a sandwich. Okay. I'm going to keep doing it until someone other than Leah sends in an email. Um, <laughs> I sent in an email once. Yeah, that was before you were even on the show. That's true. <laughs> That's that great. Makes it worth more. That's it's, yeah. I'm <laughs> proud of you. Um, yeah, for our closing segment this week, Judges ends on a nightmare. A horror show, and and honestly, the whole thing is, and that was one of the greatest things about the Bible Breakfast Club and going through that, and and um, the Bible Project's videos about it are fantastic because when you start out, it's like, wow, these judges are like a glimmering beacon in like a slightly dim room, and by the end of it, it's like this judge is so corrupt already, right? And it's like a a flicker of of light in just a basement. Um, True. And again, like it comes back to the fact that. You know, every good thing that is happening from these people is from God, um, because left to their own devices, even the judges, even the people who, you know, see firsthand God working through them and like Gideon going through the whole fleece thing, like doesn't matter, doesn't, doesn't change his heart necessarily. Uh, but the Bible doesn't end after the book of Judges, which is good news for so for our closing segment this week, so that we don't end on that note. Is all of life going to be like the end of the book of Judges, Scott? Without Jesus. <laughs> Go on. Without Jesus, your, your concubine will get cut up into a dozen pieces and shipped out to all the tribes of Israel. It <laughs> <laughs> happens at the end of the book of Judges. It does. Um, yeah, I mean, I, well... What's really kind of remarkable uh, is that, like, it says, so, yeah, it says at the very end of Judges, and this is this is a weird thing. I don't know who wrote, do you know who wrote Judges, Daniel? Mm-mm. I don't know off the top of my head. Maybe we don't know. But whoever was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in the end, the last verse of Judges is, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. And that is not true. Israel did have a king. And that king was God. And mm-hmm. God makes it very clear in Sam, 1 Samuel 8 that he is the king and that, that they're rejecting him. So it's it's uh, it's like what you said, Max. The only good thing here is God. And, and they're just mm-hmm. totally, they're missing him completely. Like, it's not true that they have no king. They have the greatest king and they're mm-hmm. ignoring him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so, like, the hope then is, like, is that that king doesn't give up on them. Like, even though throughout the entire book of Judges and before that, they, like, behave as though they have no king and they, like, run wild and they do these atrocious things. And then even though, like, a little bit later, um, they officially, like, denounce him as their king and they say, we want a real king Mm -hmm. uh, or, like, a human king. Um, And then, like, even though those human kings are, like, a travesty, like, despite all of that... Uh, and like God, in terms of like the way the Israelites view him, just being like ground like further and further like into the muck, mm-hmm. um, like from like the the high point probably of like 
right before Moses goes up the mountain, it's just like further and like further and further and further and further that the Israelites just like keep shoving him down into the garbage and like, we don't want you. We don't want you. We don't want you. Um, and then after hundreds of years of that, God says, but I want you. Mm-hmm. And he sends Jesus um, to to die in their place, which is clearly what they deserve and what we deserve mm-hmm. because we're all doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Daniel? Yeah. <clears throat> I think one of my favorite parts about Judges is in turning to First Samuel. Hmm. Because First Samuel takes place like still in the time of the judges of that transition period and <clears throat> this this theme that God preserves a remnant of people who know him and want to search after him. Hmm. Um and he honors that. Um we see with with Hannah like having that faith coming for God, like she's having more faith than the the people who are supposed to be the leaders of Israel. And um, like Samuel being born from that and this glimmer of hope that is continually throughout the Bible. And it is, we see it more than a glimmer. It's a huge, bright beaming light when Jesus comes. Mm. I think one of the biggest traps I used to fall into was, uh, you know, we all struggle with reading ourselves into the Bible. Um, but I, I think, you know, when we talk about like the time of judges and sort of this descent into this, you know, uh, as C.S. Lewis de- defined hell, right? Everyone who's in hell will choose to be there um, and mm-hmm. will say, I want, I want things my way. Um, and judges is a great way to see what happens when everyone gets things their way. Mm-hmm. Um and it's easy for that to become about someone else in my life or a group of people or a country or a culture mm-hmm. or whatever. And the fact of the matter is like, if you're like me, wherever you are now, listener, like you can see the darkness and the the sin in yourself that mm-hmm. like you by your own power are incapable of walking away from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that one way or another, that desire to have it your own way, even if it's to have Jesus plus this darkness in you that, mm-hmm. you know, makes you feel strong or makes you feel comforted or makes you feel whatever. Um, like you cannot have it both ways and you cannot free yourself. Um, and that is like the thing that gets shown through judges. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and the beauty of it is like that everything that needed to be done to save us, save me from the, the darkness that's in me and the evil that's, that's in me and that, you know, I struggle with has already been done. Um, mm-hmm. And for the people in judges, like it hadn't yet. <laughs> Um, and many of them believed it was coming and their faith was rewarded. Um, but like, you know, the Holy spirit lives in me now and the Holy spirit is stronger than the influence of the devil and is stronger than any darkness that lives in me. If I, if I allow him to, to change me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, don't be discouraged by the, the evil that you see in yourself um, because Jesus is stronger than it if we allow ourselves to release it to him, um, to recognize how it serves us and the reasons we keep it around, um, but to understand that what Jesus offers us is higher uh, and stronger and, and better um, and what we were designed for. Um, final thoughts. 
Well, I say this every week, but for the first time ever, that is all the time that we have this week. <laughs> uh, thank you, Scott. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Max. Thank you, thank you Max. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> thank you, listeners. I know it's a short episode this week, but uh, we're rifling through. Scott, take us home. You have been listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast, brought to you from Bloomingdale, Illinois, the heart of the nation. Because on the other end, I was like, if I had a perfect body from the waist down, wouldn't I look kind of weird? <laughs> I have, like, these chiseled legs and, like, these perfect calves. And, like, all of a sudden, it's just like, <laughs> I mean, you just, like what happened? You just wear pants. I just... <laughs> Or wear no pants. Yeah. Uh, or shirt. <laughs> a shirt and just no shirt pants. and no pants or pants and just a regular shirt. Like, that's right. Yeah, cover the part that's perfect. <laughs> cover the, you could so wear then, biking shorts everywhere. <laughs> yeah. You cover the parts that's perfect. So then when you meet the perfect someone, Ooh, then yeah. they get a see. Well the then you know guess. they're not just in love with you for your legs. For your mm-hmm. legs. That's a really good point. <laughs> Listeners, if you got perfect legs, you should have to cover them up. You don't want people mm-hmm. just hanging around you because of your perfect, you know, legs. Yeah. Or kneecaps. Interesting note. Okay. In the Hall of Faith, Gideon, Samson, Jephthah are like included. They acted. They did not stifle the Holy Spirit. This is true. It's an interesting little. They're judges. Yeah. True. Samson at least ended well. This is true. He did. He was the last one to end well, isn't he? He's kind of the last one at all. Yeah. Like after that, it just gets really weird. <laughs> I think literally, I'm just looking at this. Like literally right after Samson finishes, then like this very bizarre story happens. That's like, excuse me? Like With non-secular? With the, okay, Levite and his concubine, love it. <laughs> Great. Yes, okay, so Samson finishes Judges 16. It says, uh, then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me. I took it. (laughs) (laughs) Is is he showing off? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what the implication here is. Because then then his mother said, The Lord bless you, my son. When he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make an image. Dang it! <laughs> Overlaid with silver. I will give it back to you. Uh, <laughs> it was like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> and then for my son um, to make an image. And then he makes an idol. And then a Levite shows up, and he's like, "Hey, you want to be my priest here at my my house idol per- temple?" And mm-hmm. the Levite's like, "Sounds good to me." 